0: The Fedora Chronicles Radio Show, number 25, is brought to you by Toadstool Bookshops. Enchanting selections of wonderful books. New, used, remaindered, selected, discounted titles. You can find Toadstool Bookshops in Milford, New Hampshire, Peterborough, New Hampshire, and at the Colony Mill Marketplace in Keene, New Hampshire. You can also find them online at toadbooks.com. The Fedora Chronicles Radio Show, number 25, is also brought to you by Penman Hats, handcrafted fedoras made to order to suit your personal tastes, made right here in the United States. You can find Penman Hats by going to the website, penmanhats.com. Welcome again to the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show, number 25. I am Eric Brender King Fisk. This time, I speak with Toby Ball, author of the book The Vaults, a premier novel set in a dystopian 1930s America a chilling series of events that lead three men down a path to discover their city's darkest secret. In part one, Mr. Ball reads an excerpt of his book. In part two, I interview the author and discuss his inspiration for writing this book, the era in which the story is set, and the vault's context for today's world. You can find out more about this book and the author by going to tobyball.com. Chapter One
1: The vaults took up nearly half a city block. Files arranged in shelves, arranged in rows. Files from every case handled in the city for nearly the past century. Files arranged, cross-referenced, and indexed. So complicated and arcane was the system that at any given time only one living person understood it. At this time, that person was Arthur Puskus, archivist. He was the fourth archivist, inheriting the position from Jalad Abramowitz, who had gone mad in his final years and died soon after taking his leave of the vaults. Abramowitz had mentored Puskus for the better part of ten years, explaining, as best his addled mind allowed, the logic behind the system. Even so, it had taken Puskus most of the following decade to truly understand. He was now in his 27th year in the vaults. As happened every day, several times a day, O'Shea, the messenger from headquarters, had brought a list of files to be pulled. Several items on the list were preceded by an asterisk, which meant that Puskus was to pull all cross-reference files as well. Puskus had a file cart that he wheeled down the long aisles, searching for the appropriate shelves. The cart had a loose wheel that squeaked rhythmically with each rotation. Puskus completed his rounds and returned to his desk with the requested files. He opened the files that had been asterisks and took down the numbers of the cross-reference files. He then took the file cart and went to retrieve those files. Each aisle was illuminated at 30-foot intervals by a bare electric light bulb. Every journey consisted of walking from an illuminated area into a more twilight space and then back into illumination. None of the bulbs ever seemed to burn out, and Puskas was vaguely aware that the city sent someone around to check them periodically. Their collective hum was like some primal sound, one that could have emanated from the earth itself. He was at the shelf for the C4583R series in a dimly lit stretch when he found the two files. He was searching for C4583R series subseries A132 file 18. It was in the correct location, just after file 17. He put the file in the file cart and, out of habit, checked the next file to make sure it was file 19. Abramowitz had suggested the method, an episodic way to check on filing accuracy in place of doing periodic audits as Abramowitz's predecessors had done. The files were too voluminous now to make that feasible. Initially, when he saw the adjacent file, file 18, he assumed he had made a mistake and retrieved the wrong file to begin with. He checked the file cart and found that he had in fact taken the correct file. That meant that there are actually two file 18s. Puskus removed the spectacles from the end of his long, thin nose, rolled his head around to loosen his neck, replaced the spectacles, and looked at the files again. Nothing had changed. The two files bore the same label. He opened the one that had been left on the shelf. It was a file for a Reef de Grafenried, fact identification number such and such, with this particular address, and so on. He opened the one in the file cart. Again, the name was Reef de Grafenried. Same fact number, address, etc. Duplicate files. Puskus could not imagine himself capable of such sloppiness. A puzzle. Puskus put the second file in the file cart and returned to his desk to address this vexing problem. Puskus took the two folders and with his skeletal fingers, laid them on opposite sides of his barren desk. He removed the contents one by one, first from the file folder on his left and then from the one on his right. Tuskis had, from years of experience, acquired an especially keen sense of paper of various ages. He would have told an inquisitive soul, if he ever actually interacted with one, that it was an instinct. The truth was that it was an acute understanding of the paper stocks of different decades and the effect that aging had on them, making them dry, crisp, and discolored, but each stock in a minutely unique way. He noticed that the papers from the two files were not of identical age, The paper from the file to his right was not eight years old. Too moist, it bent limply from his fingers without the rigidity that crept into older paper. Taking a greater interest now, Puskas estimated the paper on the right to be three or four years old. He held the more recent paper up to the light to confirm that estimate. The department's paper supplier for years had been Ribisi and Porfiro. They had imprinted their paper with a distinctive seahorse watermark. Five years ago, however... They had been acquired by Capital Industries, and to cut costs, the corporation had done away with the watermark. The more recent sample then, bearing no watermark, must have been created in the last five years. Puskus checked the paper from the older file, and as he suspected, it carried the watermark. Somebody had typed the more recent pages at least two or three years after the original file had been created. It was curious. Also curious were the pages. Same cover sheet, same personal information, same testimony. De Graff and Reed had been on trial for the murder of someone named Ellis Prasnicki. Same verdict, guilty. The sentence, had been, uh, the sentence had been Life-PN, which was not the approved abbreviation for penitentiary, just another vexing detail of the unthinkable duplication that Puskus had discovered. Yet here, too, was an interesting difference. In the margin of page 8 of the testimony was a handwritten notation. It read, Do not contact, Dersh. An arrow pointed to the name Pharaoh Basu, who was mentioned by de Graffenried as the man who had introduced him to Prasnicki. In the file to the right, it was written in green ink. In the file to the left, the ink was blue. He looked closer. The writing was nearly identical, but not quite. Where the ends tailed off in the blue ink, they ended suddenly in the green. The angles at which the arrows were drawn, too, were slightly different. It was, he decided, as if someone had deliberately copied the notation from one file to the other as exactly as he could, or not quite as exactly. He studied the two notations, trying to discern the forger's intention, before eventually conceding that, from the scant scan available evidence, this was unknowable. Finally, he came to the photographs. The photo from the left-hand side, the older file, was a head-and-shoulder shot of a man with sunken eyes, a blunt crooked nose, and receding hair. His mouth was slightly open, providing a glimpse of crooked and broken teeth. It might have been cropped from a mug shot. The photo from the file on the right was of a completely different person. This man had long, thin features, hollow cheeks that he had tried to conceal with extensive sideburns, and sparse hair parted in the middle. Most striking to Puskus was the man's stare, as though unaware of the camera, which could not have been more than ten feet away. It was, Puscas thought, haunting. This was a troubling development. Puskus picked up the phone, his phone and, for the first time in over a decade, dialed out. Puskus felt more uncomfortable than usual in the chief's office. He rarely deviated from his th- three destinations, his apartment seven blocks from the vaults, the grocers around the corner, and, of course, the vaults themselves. Anywhere else and he realized how eccentric, even grotesque, his nearly three decades in the vaults had left him. He was alarmingly thin and stooped, the latter a consequence of years leaning to read files in the too dim light. His face was pale, and he sweated more than he liked when he was in the open air. He wore thick wire-framed glasses as the reading had left him nearsighted. Inside the vaults, he did not need to see beyond four or five feet. The chief was looking at Puskus with mild bewilderment. During his first years as archivist, Puskus had occasionally come with some kind of request. A different kind of paper, a newfangled sprinkler system, a lockable door between the elevator and the vaults, a bathroom, that the chief could not possibly fund. In time, the consistent fruitlessness of these requests put an end to Puscus's visits. Now, after a decade, he was back. This was something quite different. Two identical files? The chief's jowls quivered when he spoke. Yes, sir. Two files in the C-4583R series. An individual by the name of Reef de Graffenried. And the problem? The chief was polishing a badge of some sort with his tie. Well, sir, you see, there were two different photographs... The files were for the same person, but the photographs were of two different people. I'm not sure that I understand the problem, Mr. Puskus. It's just that, sir, well, it's just that there, really, there can't really be two briefed at and reads in the city with the same fact number and address and everything else. It's just, well, not possible. At some level, Puskus himself did not necessarily believe this statement, but such was his faith in the unerring accuracy of the files in the vaults that there seemed no other explanation. The chief sighed. "'Mr. Puskus, it seems quite evident to me that somebody made an error in filing one of these photographs.' "'But why the two files, sir? In my twenty-seven years in the vaults, I have never seen a duplicate file, and now when I do, there are different photographs in each.' The chief shook his head. "'I don't know what to tell you, Mr. Puskus.' "'That's exactly my point, sir,' Puskus said somewhat desperately. "'That is just the point I'm trying to get across to you. I don't know what to make of it either. I am bringing it to your attention so that an inquiry can be initiated.' Into whom whom filed the photograph?' "'No, please do not take this lightly. "'There are two reef to graph and reads in this city, sir. "'They are different, but they are the same person.' "'I'm not sure I understand what you mean. "'Neither do I, sir. "'That is a point that I'm continuing to try to get across to you. "'I don't know what I mean either. "'It makes no sense, yet there it is, sir.' "'Maybe it's the files that are wrong,' the chief suggested in a softer voice. "'No, I'm afraid not. The files would not be wrong.' Puskus did not mention the different colored inks or the age differences in the papers. The former was a detail whose significance would escape the chief. He would not understand the system by which the transcribers who assembled and notated the files worked. He would not understand the dramatic importance of the same comment appearing twice but in different ink. What Puskus found most alarming was that he, Puskus, understood this detail to be of vital importance but could not glean its meaning. The chief opened a file on his desk and leafed through its pages. Puskis watched the chief's inexpert handling of the papers, his fat fingers occasionally pulling two sheets instead of the desired one. Mr Puskus, when did you last take a vacation? The question caught Puskus off guard and he stammered before answering. I'm not absolutely certain, sir. Not for a long while, but I failed to see Mr Puskus, the chief interrupted, his fleshy lips in a benign and sympathetic smile. It was nineteen seventeen. Eighteen years almost to the day. Puskus conceded this point in silence. I am ordering you to take this next week off. Go back to the vaults, pick up your things, and don't come back until a week from Monday. But sir, no, Mr. Puskus, the vaults will be fine for a week. Take some time, relax, the vaults can get to you. 18 years, my God.
0: Toby Ball, thank you very much for taking a minute here and talking to me about your new book, uh, *The Vaults*. uh, To get things started, tell us about your book. Tell us about what is *The Vaults*.
1: Uh, *The Vaults* is it's a noir mystery, sort of set in this dystopian uh, fictional city, just called the city. It doesn't have a name, Um, and it involves um, three characters: a, a journalist, a private eye and a, a guy who um, is the archivist for this huge repository of information on, on cr- the criminal history of the city. And they, uh, in their own different ways, sort of worked to uncover uh, a conspiracy within the within the city government.
0: And it takes place during the 1930s? It takes place during the 30s. Okay. Correct. O- of why the 30s?
1: Part of the book is really about information and, and how do you make sense of information, what does information mean, um a- and how important is is accurate information and and I I felt it had to take place before the, sort of the advent of com- of computers mm-hmm. it needed to be sort of a linear uh, filing type system because because how how do you make decisions about what's important in, in classifying things is, is a theme and I kind of when I when I kind of came to that to that point where it couldn't be modern. You know, just, uh, I think the feel of, you know, movies and and, and noir uh, detective stories from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, I just, you know, it, it's an appealing time, I think. it's an, uh, There's an appealing feel um, to those works, and I, you know, I wanted to, you know, try in some way to evoke it, in some ways maybe uh, play with it a little bit, try a little something different with it, but I definitely... You know, I, I want I people to read it to, to be able to think back to those kinds of, of movies and, and sort of have that be the the I guess.
0: Um, I, I want to read something from from the back of the, uh, the hardcover here. If George Orwell and Dashiell Hammett had ever decided to collaborate on a book, they might have come up with something like The Vault, a wonderful debut by uh, Michael Harvey, author of The Third Rail. Uh, what do you think of that
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh it was nice to it was nice when I got that over the email but i you know i think i mean, what's interesting is uh, you know I didn't go out and r- write this and say you know i want to evoke Orwell or you know Kafka's another person who's mentioned. Yes. i actually haven't even read Kafka before I, but I have a you know basic sense of of what he's about but I did Sort of this, the idea that I think they both get into, which is the um, this idea that that organizations and bureaucracies can kind of uh, take over in and of themselves, and, and, and that that's not necessarily a, a positive thing. Um, I was reading, I was reading a, a biography of Martin Luther King and uh, Jr. and uh, they they have a quote from Niebuhr. About how uh, I'm not going to get the quote right, but 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 essentially it is that that people are are inherently good, but when you join, but when people sort of join organizations or, or come together, then suddenly it's the organization's priorities that take over, and people start to act in ways that, that aren't necessarily good, and um, you know that 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 sort of informs I think my the way I, I try to portray this this very corrupt city government and and the. Uh, and the structures that are, that are placed around it.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, um, as a webmaster of the Fedora Chronicles, I love the idea of, of an alternate 1930s um, setting. Mm-hmm. But it, is this also a cautionary tale about now?
1: Um, you know, it, it's interesting in that I did... When I started writing it, it was during... Um, it, was, it was right after 9-11 and going into Afghanistan and going into Iraq... And I, I think at the time there was a lot of of changing of, of different sort of assumptions about things. Um, and I'm not not to say whether that's either either good or bad, but that that sort of it seemed like there was sort of a progression there. And um, for a guy like Arthur Puskus, who's, who's one of the protagonists, um, that would he would find that very very troubling. So I, I think that was in in his. By putting forth that that standpoint, that there there's something uh, very important about having, um, you know, a very detailed, accurate, truthful record of the past um, that that people can access and that, and that is un- yeah. unchangeable. I, I I think that's important. So in some ways, there's a reaction to the times, but people shouldn't read too much into it. I think okay. I, it's not it's not an allegory okay. for the most part.
0: All right. Um- another aspect of this that you had mentioned while you were reading a segment of it is that and um, talking about records is, is this um, is this about a conspiracy in in general is this yes, is it's, it's it's
1: a, the, the yeah there's a conspiracy that sort of becomes unraveled
0: okay okay because I, th- I thought it's like it's funny how it's like we're talking about like doctored records and
1: and mm-hmm. a lot of that
0: is really in the news lately about right. who knew what and when right. and, and there's also something like um, very Nixonian about it as well. It's yeah. like there's there has yeah. a...
1: And Wiki, WikiLeaks, too. I mean, yeah. I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about about WikiLeaks and, and how that kind of relates to the vaults, and my was like, oh, you yeah. got to write an article about that. Yeah. Um,
0: Just really quickly for people sure. who don't know, um, what exactly is WikiLeaks, and what is, what are your thoughts on it as the author of the vaults?
1: Well, um, WikiLeaks has been in the news quite a bit because they uh, released... Uh, particularly, a video of a, of a helicopter uh, and and the, uh, the the dialogue that they're having over the radio, and where they uh, a whole bunch of civilians were were, were killed, and it's it, it's it's an interesting piece in that it's completely without context. Uh, but WikiLeaks in general is is a much broader um, uh, endeavor in which they they basically get. Uh, uh, secret documents, covert documents, and they put them out on the web for everybody to see. And they, I, I think, they do quite a bit of, of work trying to make sure that they're legitimate. And and when they can, put them in context. But it's it's tens and hundreds of thousands of documents, and a lot of it is is really um, from former Soviet republics. I think is their main thing. And what I, what I find interesting about it, and, and how it pertains to the vaults a little bit, is this idea of there's just all this information that they put forth, and what does it all mean? Yeah. You know, When you start going through it, you, what, what do you glean from this, and what's, what's the value of having this information? It's
0: like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of documents that are just dumped out into the public's, right. public blogosphere, as it were, or just the, the, the public in general. You know, it's, it's a little overwhelming as well.
1: Right, and I think I think part of the reason why they're doing that is with the hope that there are journalists and academics who will start sifting through it and, and making sense of it. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, and, and that and that and I, and I won't go on about this too much, but but one of the um, one of the inspirations for the vaults was an article about the Berlin Document Center, yeah, um, and the files, that, the Nazi files that they had, and. Um, And just how minute details were so important to the to the the scholars who were studying it um, from the from the color of the ink from things that from where staples came out of of sheets of paper and then the sheets of paper got got um, got disorganized to be able to put them back in the right order you actually had to have the sheets of paper to line them up correctly Um, I, I I just saw that whole sort of Obsessive obsessiveness over uh, these sort of pieces of information. Yeah. what was really interesting.
0: Is it also a commentary on the digital age as far as like as Google is concerned and how mm-hmm. um, government agencies are just retaining so much information about people like you and myself? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're also talking about here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's certainly an aspect to it, and then a lot of this stuff has come out since... Uh, since the vault, since I wrote the vaults, and but I, I think the same themes are there, and, and you know, with Facebook, you're putting that stuff out about yourself, yeah, you know, and it's out there, it's out there for everyone, and you can delete your pictures, but you know, they're still they're still there to be found, you know, of uh, yeah. you drinking on a boat ten years ago, you know, if you know you had a I thought we were not going to bring that up. I thought I thought I asked you not to bring <laughs> that right. up. That's right. Well, I did a little research.
0: Yeah. Um, so. What is the takeaway from the vaults? What um, what's the hook that you want to lure people into to read this, and what do you want people to take away from it?
1: Um, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, th- I think the hook to get to come into it is that I, I think it does have sort of a unique feel. I mean, it's 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 you know, there's a lot of dystopian future stuff that's going on right now, especially in young adult. This is you know a dystopia from the past. Um and i I think it has sort of a, an almost surreal feel to it, but I, I think it also I, I hope it wrestles with some questions that um that that are important you know at all times and, and today as well as in, in some ways that you've mentioned about you know how important is it to accurately remember and 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 our people by altering. You know our memories of the past. I mean, what, what what exactly does that mean, and how important is it that that either happen or not happen? So I, I guess those are sort of the the things I'd like people to think about. But I, you know, at the other, on the other hand, it's a you know it's a thriller. You should you should read it and enjoy it, and hopefully want to keep turning the pages. I mean, it should be fun.
0: Two last questions for yes. you and I'll let you go because okay. it is really it is really super late here. Okay. Um, motion picture. Um, uh, would they are they optioning this? Is there any talk about this being a motion picture?
1: No, uh, my mom like would like to see it, uh, but it's uh, it's expensive to make period pieces, and that that apparently has been a real stumbling block. Uh, but it has been shown to producers who who enjoy the story, but say the the dollar figure is, is pretty high.
0: Yeah because it is a period film and it seems as if it's also a bit science fiction.
1: Yeah, I certainly, I don't read much science fiction, but there are people who do have said that there are certainly elements of it that okay. are in there.
0: More alternate fiction.
1: Yeah, I w- I'd say. It, my, my editor calls it unique fiction.
0: Final question. Yes. What is next for Toby Ball?
1: I have actually, uh, St. Martin's has already accepted the manuscript for the second book, which will probably be called Scorch City. It takes place in the, uh, uh, around 1950. And it involves a uh, African American utopian community, and the people within the city who who want to see it destroyed. Is it a sequel to the Vault? It's sort of a loose sequel. It takes place about fifteen years later, so a few of the same characters, but it's not. You know, this doesn't end, and then two months later, the next book begins. This is it's like a they everybody's in a different stage of life.
0: That's great. Thank you once again. It's been a pleasure meeting you, and I look forward to seeing you next next book. Great. Thank it's been you. Fun. Thank you. Thanks. that i'd like to give a special thanks to toadstool bookshops for allowing us to record this podcast with toby ball in their milford location saturday night september 18th 2010 please be sure to visit them at toadbooks.com we would also like to thank mr ball for his time and encourage everyone to check out his book the vaults that was released earlier this month a final thanks to you our listeners please be sure to keep an ear out for our next podcast which will be online next saturday as well Until then, keep your chins up and your fedoras on.